0: Uh, if you have a Bible this morning, I would like you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. The message this morning is entitled, Giving to Get the Gospel Beyond Our Borders. How many of you were here this past Wednesday night with our missionaries Dan and Janice Jallowick? Okay, so, so if, you, if you missed Wednesday night, uh, you know, I'm not being critical, man, you just missed it. We had a great time of, of fellowship with, with another missionary family that we support in Zambia, Africa, uh, Dan Jalouit came and, and gave us an update from the field uh, they home for a few months and and man, we sent you know a few thousand Bibles in the Chechewa language over to Dan and to his ministry there and uh, he gave an update of how God was using the Word of God into those church churches in the villages and how that 's such a blessing to his ministry and uh, man it, it, it was just a great update and so this morning we 're going to continue on that theme of missions. We just finished a series out of Deuteronomy called Leaving a Legacy. We're going to get back in the book of Revelation in a few weeks. But this morning, we're going to continue the theme of missions that we, that we started on Wednesday night. We're going to look at God's Word, and we're going to consider what we can do to make sure that we get the gospel to the nations with the time we have left. And, and, I, and I dare say that, that time is short, and we don't have much time left. And you you can disagree with that all you want, but I think biblically, man, we are literally in the last days, in the last hours of the last days, as it relates to the church and the opportunity to get the gospel to the world and to make disciples of all nations. And so with that comes an urgency. Man, you heard Dan share from his heart. There's so many people that have yet to hear the gospel. And the problem is... We don't have enough people to get it to them. That ought to put a burden in our heart, right? That ought to make us realize, oh, woe is me, Lord. What can I do to help get the gospel to the nations? And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that I think illustrates for us an opportunity, a way in which we can help others get the gospel and even ourselves take the gospel to where it needs to go. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 to 3, if you're there, say amen. Amen. Look at verse 1. It says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. And so, and so this morning, as we get into the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing to a local church. It was a church at Corinth, but listen, this church was probably unlike any other church in the New Testament. It was the most carnal, envious, divided, spiritually immature church in the entire New Testament. It is the church of Corinth, and as we, as we study the Bible, we know that Paul's epistle of 1 Corinthians is really an epistle of correction because, man, this church needed help. They, they, were, they were saved just like we are. They believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and yet they were still babes in Christ. They were carnal, walking in their flesh. Paul even said, I can't even speak to you as unto spiritual. Man, that, listen, to, listen to this. 1 Corinthians 3, this is what Paul's assessment of their spiritual maturity was. In verse 1, he says, I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto what? As unto carnal, even as unto what? Babes in Christ. He says, I fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal. And whereas there is among you envyings and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men. And so, man, as, as Paul opens this epistle and addresses this church, he is dealing with a spiritually immature Carnal, divisive, envious church who had open sin going on, open rebellion going on, and, and, and yet Paul, through the inspiration of the Spirit of God, wasn't going to leave them in that state. He said, I've got some instruction for you that you need to hear. And so and so that's the context of First Corinthians. and as we as we begin to zoom in on chapter sixteen, I want you to know that chapter sixteen comes after Chapters 12, 13, 14, and 15. And and you too can be a pastor one day with that kind of ability to reason. You see, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through chapter 14, Paul gives that church clarity on spiritual gifts. As a matter of fact, those three chapters are the defining chapters for a carnal church to truly understand spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is the greatest chapter in my opinion on the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's clear what the gospel is according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 to 8 it's the greatest chapter in the bible on the resurrection of Christ and it's the greatest one of the greatest chapters on the rapture of the church and so Paul is systematically laying out specific doctrine this church needs to understand and then he gets to chapter 16 and what he begins to teach on in chapter 16 is the area of giving, the area of giving. And again, man, if, if, if you're, you know, of the persuasion that, man, all the church talks about is money, well, then today is your worst nightmare, right? Uh, you showed up to church and, man, they're talking about money. Can I just tell you, this is probably the first time we've talked about money in, I don't know, at least a year, probably two years. David says three years. David keeps up with how many times we talk about money. He says it's been three years. So we're going to spend at least one sermon on it in the next few months, right? Paul addresses this issue of giving. And here's why I think it's important for us to understand. Even the most spiritually immature and carnal church and even the most spiritually immature and carnal Christians are tasked to give. So so Paul's not going to leave them alone. He's going to help them mature in their walk with Christ. And he's going to express to them the need for them to get active in giving. And, and and so as we get going this morning, I want you to understand that this is a very focused teaching that Paul is giving this church. And so if you're taking notes this morning, number one, we're going to talk about the cause of missions giving, the cause of missions giving, because Paul charges this church that they are to be active in giving. And it's for a very specific reason. Look at verse one. He says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the church's of Galatia, even so do ye. And so, and so let's unpack why Paul is instructing this church, as well as other churches, to give. The first thing I want you to understand, he's, he's talking about a thing called a collection. Okay? And when you study that word in the Bible, it is very clear that that word represents one thing only. It's money. It's not, it's not, it's not food. It's not wells for water. When he's talking about this collection that's to be taken from the church and for a specific reason, specifically, he's talking about money. And that word collection only shows up three times in your Bible. The other two times it shows up is Second Chronicles chapter 24. And I want to just read this passage to you and show you that even in the Old Testament, this thing of the collection, Man, it's a monetary collection. Look at, look at 2 Chronicles 24 and verse 4. You guys can catch this on the screen. Look at verse 4. It says, It came to pass after this that Joash was minded to repair the house of the Lord. And he gathered together the priests and the Levites and said to them, Go out unto the cities of Judah and gather of all Israel. What are we gathering? We're gathering money. And here's why. To repair the house of your God from year to year. And see that ye hasten the matter, howbeit the Levites hastened not. The, 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 the priest didn't get, didn't get involved with it. And the king called for Jehoiada the chief and said unto him, Why hast thou not required of the Levites to bring in out of Judah and out of Jerusalem, here it is, the collection, according to the commandment of Moses, the servant of the Lord, and of the congregation of Israel, for the tabernacle of witness. For the sons of Athaliah, that wicked woman, hath broken up the house of God. And it also dedicated the things of the house of the Lord Did they bestow unto Balaam. And so God's house is in, is in distress. It's in disarray. And so Joash is minded to repair God's house. And he said, the way we're going to do that is with money. So go take a collection. He instructs the Levites, but they didn't do what they were supposed to do. And so the king said, listen, if you're not going to do it, I'm going to do it. Verse 8. And at the king's commandment, they made a chest and they set it without or outside at the gate of the house of the Lord. And they made a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem to bring to the Lord the collection that Moses, the servant of God, laid upon Israel in the wilderness. And all the princes and all the people rejoiced and brought in and cast into the chest until they had made an end. Now listen, you're going to hear this text again really soon, because this talks about, man, God's people need to make sure that God's house is in order. And when it's in need of repair, there needs to be a collection made for it, right? And we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks, but but right now, I just want to prove the point that anytime God's word talks about a collection, he is talking about money. That's exactly what he's talking about. And so if we go back to 1 Corinthians 16, Paul is saying, listen, we want you to take this collection." for the saints, and it's from other churches, even in Galatia. And so get this key in your notes. This money was used specifically for missions. Okay, and verse 3 tells us where this money is going to. We know that he's charging Corinth to take this collection, but where's the money going to? He says, when I come, verse 3, whomsoever you shall appoint by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto where? where. Unto Jerusalem. And so Paul is writing to a local church, and he's telling them to to take a collection and to give, and it's going to another geographical location. You guys okay with that? It's going to another area of gospel ministry. Now, here's an important note that we need to get down. This offering, this collection, is not the tithe. It's not the tithe, because the tithe is to fund the local church ministry, it's to support the local church, such as Corinth. So this, this would have been above and beyond what, what believers were giving to support their local ministry. And, and this morning is not the point or, or the time to talk about the tithe. But let me just tell you, we teach that in discipleship. We teach it in discipleship. And it is important because God wants us to obey Him in the area of giving. And listen, through our tithe is what funds our local ministry here. Anybody appreciate the roof over your head right now while it's raining? You know how that gets paid for? With a tithe. Do you appreciate electricity and air conditioning? That's, that's paid for with a tithe. Do you appreciate good coffee? Because, man, we spend money on good coffee, by the way. It, 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 it pays for our pastors. It pays for our local ministry. It pays for our children's ministry. We have a responsibility to fund our local ministry at this church. And two people agree with that. And listen, God has called us to be witnesses in our Jerusalem right here in Huntsville, Alabama. But God has also called us to impact every nation of people at once because we're to be witnesses here, but we're to be witnesses to the world. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 the Bible says, Ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. And I want you to pay attention to the wording both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. You see, God says that we are to be witnesses here and at the same time we're to be witnesses abroad. It's both and and, listen, it's not either or. It's not, hey, we're going to be witnesses here. That means we can't be witnesses in Zambia, Africa, or Albania, or Belize, Central America. No, God says that we're to be witnesses both here and all of the other places simultaneously. And so, listen, the tithe is what funds the Great Commission in our Jerusalem. But, man, that's only a fourth of where we're to be witnesses. And so today, we're going to see that God has commanded churches... He's commanded churches. He's not suggested to churches that we give to missions. And just as we're to be obedient to giving to our local church, we are to be obedient in giving to missions to reach the world. And here's the point. Why is Paul charging the church at Corinth to give back to Jerusalem? Why was this offering needed? And here's the key in your notes. There was a famine in the land. There was a famine in the land. And listen, that was a legitimate physical need, for sure. And actually, this famine in Jerusalem was prophesied in Acts chapter 11 and verse 28. As a matter of fact, this this prophet named Agabus in Acts 11 and verse 28, he stood up and he signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth throughout the whole world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. And so listen, that was a legitimate need. And so Paul tasked the churches to meet the need. He he tasked the churches to meet the need. And, And you would say, okay, well, that was a physical need. Are we supposed to try to end world hunger? Are we supposed to make sure every village has clean water? And listen, if you were here Wednesday night, you heard Dan share. Man, there are villages in his area of ministry that are literally drinking water from a mud hole. Man, there's physical needs all over this earth, for sure. And I'm not making light of that. There are villages that have no food, no water. They have very rudimentary, if any, shelter. And those are real needs. But listen, there's a greater need than even that. You say, what could be even greater than food, water, shelter, clothing? What could be even greater than that? Well, what could be even greater is is not a physical famine but but in your notes man the greater need is the spiritual famine of God's word in this world it is it is greater than any physical need that we could ever try to meet and i'm not saying we shouldn't meet physical needs but what i am saying is we can't neglect the spiritual famine that's happening in this world man listen it, it's like the world hunger need physically. If, if we had all the food in the world, man, how irresponsible would it be to not give that? Okay, listen, yeah, physically that's fine. But can I just tell you, concerning this spiritual famine, God says there's a need in this world that's significant. It's great. Amos chapter 8 and verse 11 says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, physical, not a thirst for water, physical, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And listen, you heard Wednesday night that there are people in this world that have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. They've never heard the gospel. They've never held a Bible in their hand. They don't even know what they don't know. And man, listen, that's a greater famine than any physical famine that could ever happen. God tells us in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And God's word tells us that that famine is a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Listen, people can't believe if they don't hear. And if they don't have the opportunity to hear, they're not going to have the opportunity to hear unless there's a preacher. If there's no hearing, there's no opportunity for faith. Romans 10, verses 13 and 14, the Bible says, "...whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved." Every saved person in this room, say amen right there, man. You call on the name of the Lord? The reason you did that is because somehow, way, somebody got the gospel to you. It was a tract. It was a sermon. It was a knock on the door. It was a friend that loved you enough to ask you some hard questions about your eternity. And do you know Christ? Man, God is able to forgive you of your sin and, and cleanse you from all of your unrighteousness and restore a right relationship between you and Him. You heard that message from somebody. But man, there's a multitude of people that haven't heard it. Romans 10 and verse 13 says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on Him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in Him who they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? That's why you just can't live out your Christian faith without opening your mouth and preaching the gospel. The gospel is a verbal communication. It's something that we preach to the lost to let them know that there's hope in the person of Jesus Christ. But man, listen. If there is no preacher, then there's no communication of of the Word of God. And if there's no communication of the Word of God, there's no opportunity to hear. And if there's no opportunity to hear, there's no opportunity for faith. And who's been tasked to do that? Well, man, the church has been tasked to do that. Let me give you some stats, you know, because we always have to have stats when we talk about missions. Let me just weigh you down with the reality of how big this world really is. Right now, the current world population is 7.75 billion, with a B, people. Maybe that's hard for you to wrap your mind around, so so let me give you a a comparison. The population of the entire United States, all the people that live in the great U.S. of A, is only 329.5 million people, which means that, that literally... 4% of the world's population, 4% live in this country. Four, which means 96% of the world is not here. It's not here. And of those 7.75 billion people, 3.23 billion people are what is considered unreached. Meaning there's no gospel presence in their villages, in their cities, in their countries. forty, Almost 42%. Man, listen, there's a famine of God's words in this world. According to the Joshua Project, there's approximately 17,446 unique people groups in the world, and over 7,000 of them are considered unreached. In the next picture, you've got a map of, of uh, an area of the world called the 1040 window, which is 10 degrees north latitude, between 10 degrees north latitude and 40 degrees north latitude. It goes from Africa into Asia into China. And in that window of, of geography, every red dot represents one of the 100 most, uh, one of the 100 largest unreached people groups in this world. These people don't have a gospel presence. There's no local church. There's no access to the gospel. In that 10:40 window, there's roughly four and a half billion people that live there. Roughly two-thirds of the world's population, and 90% of those people are unevangelized. Which means that over that over half of the world has never really heard the gospel. So, listen: is that a need? Is that a need? Listen, if we showed pictures this morning of starving children in in Africa, and listen, I'm sympathetic to that, we would all be moved with compassion. And we would want to give, man, let's help the kids get bread, and let's help the kids get water, and all those things are important. But as much as physical needs are reality, there's even a greater need that physical means won't fix. Because, man, we can give bread and we can give water. But without Christ, every person will spend an eternity and hell separated from God because of their sin. We can't fix spiritual problems with physical solutions. So we have to take the bread of life that God has is, is, is told us in His Word is the person of Jesus Christ, the bread of life and the living water. We have to take Christ to the world to make sure they can know that there is a Savior. And listen, the cause of concern is great because there is a famine. Man, without the bread of life, Jesus Christ, without the living water, the world has no hope. John chapter 6, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. You say, Jay, you're not really sympathetic to physical needs. Well, let me just tell you, physical needs without Christ is, is pointless. Because we could, we could end world hunger and, and people will still die and go to hell. We haven't fixed anything, and we've been disobedient to the Great Commission. And so I want you to understand that the cause of missions giving is significant. It's burdensome. There's a famine, and God's commanded His church to get involved. Number two is the point, the command of missions giving. And so if we go back to the text, Paul's addressing this carnal church who doctrinally were off on everything, and as he's establishing correct doctrine in their life, he says in verse 1, the last half of that verse, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. You see, this is something that Paul commanded the churches to do. Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. He's authoritative in the church, the church epistles. And Paul commands the churches to do this. There are some things that other organizations ex- ex- Organizations can do. Okay, listen. There are a lot of, a lot of NGOs, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of good things that other organizations on this planet can do: clean water wells, all, all the different things. That's fine. Listen, but there's something that only the church can do, and, and only the church, as it relates to the gospel, only the church has been tasked and has the the leadership. And the people and the resources to accomplish that, it is the local church's job and we cannot and we will not outsource that responsibility to any other organization. We can't. Now, other churches might, we cannot. Paul says, I've given you order just like I've given order to the churches of Galatia. And so Paul's tapping the local church. you got to get involved you got to make a difference. And so get this key in your notes. Missions giving is required of the local churches. Man, it's ordered. God gives us authoritative instruction to collect this money. And listen, it wasn't just for the church at Corinth. It was for the churches in Galatia. Paul says in Romans 15 that other churches got involved in this. Those of Macedonia, those of Achaia, this famine... Again, physically, but also represents a spiritual famine in Jerusalem. Paul says churches has got to get involved. Look at Romans fifteen twenty-five to 27. I don't know if I have that on the, the screen. Derek says no. Let me read it to you. Paul says, but now I go to Jerusalem to minister unto the saints, for it has pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. For it pleased them very well, and their debtors they are, for if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in carnal things. So God gives you a little bit of insight in Romans 15 of how God views money. Money is just a carnal thing. It has no spiritual connection at all. It's just how you use it. God says that's, that's carnal. And He says, listen, if you're a Gentile church, you've been a recipient, number one, of a Jewish savior. You've been a recipient of the Jewish scriptures. You've been ministered to by Jewish apostles. And so now the Jews at Jerusalem are in need. You have a duty to minister to them in carnal things. And man, listen, I'm just telling you, it's our duty as a church to give. It's our, it's our duty to help. It's our duty to see a need in the area of the world that has a famine and to get involved. And so missions giving is required for every church. Number two, it's required for every Christian. Look at verse 2. It's required for every Christian. So verse 2 says, "...upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come." And so as, as much as Paul is talking to the church collectively, Paul then says that a church is made up of people. It's made up of every one of you. So when I count to three, I want everyone in this room, I want everyone to raise their hand. One, two, three. Every one, raise their hand. Okay. Everyone one means everyone. You can take your hands down. So, so Paul says in verse two, on the first day of the week, like every one of you at the church of Corinth, lay by him in store. So, so it's an individual charge. It's ordered for all the churches, all the people in the churches, and, and you know... It's, it's not dependent on if you're rich or not, if you have a heart for missions or not. He just says, listen, you need to get involved. You just need to get involved. And then he calls it your liberality in the last part of that verse. He says, this is your liberality. And so I want you to understand that missions giving is an individual investment, but it's also a corporate investment. Here's what I mean. When you give individually, we as a church give corporately. And it's our liberality together. It's an individual decision that comes into a corporate impact as a church that makes a difference on the, on the mission field and the lives of people. Man, it's a great opportunity. It's a commandment. I don't know how people think missions get accomplished without giving, quite honestly. Just like I don't know how people think local church ministry gets accomplished without tithing. I really don't know if people really understand that electricity is not free and buildings aren't free and food for pastors is not free. And it blows my mind in in Christian conversations that, that we just assume things happen without any personal involvement at all. It doesn't make sense to me. I think we think about that in local church ministry. I think we think about that concerning global missions. Somebody else will do it. Well, who's the somebody else? I would like to meet them. <laughs> I would like to know who it is that's going to accomplish this. No, we have an individual opportunity and responsibility, every one of us, to lay some things in store and to make a difference for God's eternal kingdom. But I know we're out of seeing, man. We don't like preaching when it comes to our money or possessions because we are rich and increased with goods. At least we think we are. And we would say we have need of nothing. And Christ says of that church in Laodicea that you're just poor, blind, miserable, and naked. You don't even know what you don't know. I, I probably should get back to my notes, right? So, so let's, let's wind this thing down. I want to I show you the last couple of points. And, and if you'll go back to verse 2 with me, I want to show you the specifics concerning the collection of missions giving. Okay, so he said in verse 2 upon the first day of the week let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him that there be no gatherings when I come. And so again Paul is instructing this church. He's planning on stopping by Corinth. He's saying, "Listen, go ahead and do this so that when I get there we don't have to take a gathering." Okay? So number 1 under that point is the timing of this collection. Paul says, "You do this on the first day of the week." And and so that's that shouldn't be hard for us to understand because Sunday is the first day of the week. It's the day that we gather anyways. It's the day the body of Christ gathers. Now, listen, you can have church on any day. It doesn't matter. But, but as you read the New Testament, the believers gather on the first day of the week, and God orders us to give to missions to fund the ministry. He says, lay it, lay it aside and bring it on the first day of the week. And so it's kind of convenient. You're, you're already here. And we even have advantages that, that Paul and Corinth didn't have. Like online giving. You can, you can lay that thing in store any day of the week, man. And, and again, I, man, I don't want to be an idiot, but we got 52 Sundays that we gather a year. That's what we have. That's all we have. Man, we ought to have some things laid aside in store. We ought to have a burden for the world to get the gospel to the nations. And maybe you don't get paid every week. Maybe you get paid every two weeks or every month. Whatever. It doesn't matter. That's the point. The point is, Paul is saying, when I show up, this ought to be a settled issue. We'll talk more about that in just a second. The timing of this collection is really important. Number two, the totality of this collection, it says, as God hath prospered. And, and some of you are sitting in the seat right now saying, just get to the point, Jay. Tell me how much I'm supposed to give. And, that, and, and, and listen, I, I wish I could, but I can't. Because God didn't, God didn't spell that out specifically. The amount is not specific. And so, listen, the, the statement is just give as God has prospered you. Listen, when you tithe, you give a certain amount. It's 10%. You give them back 10% of what God has given you. By the way, I said it's God that gave it to you. But missions giving is different. God doesn't give you a certain number of percentage. He says to give it as God has prospered you. And so here's the question on the table for all of us. How has God prospered you? You. Now, you need to buckle up for this next statement and anoint your ears with grace. You ready? You won't know the answer to how God has prospered you until you become a good steward of God's resources in your life. And that includes money. You see, you're not going to know how God prospered you because you've never sat down and done a budget. You're a poor steward of God's resources in your life. It goes out just as quick as it comes in. As a matter of fact, most Americans live on 110% of their income because we've just got this wonderful thing called credit that that the world system is readily available and willing to give us. So not only do we spend more than we make, but then we borrow more that we we can't pay back. I'm not beating anybody up. That's the culture that we live in. And it boils down to an issue of stewardship in our life. And there's things that we have to pay for, man. Listen, we have to pay a house payment or rent. We have to have gas in the car. We have to have insurance. We have to have coffee. We all know that. Or, man, you know, things go bad really quick. You need to be clothed. Thank you all for putting clothing on today. Okay. And you would say, amen, you as well. Okay, so, yeah, we don't want it to be awkward around here. Uh, Man, we have to pay for things like that, medical and bills and all those things. But listen, God prospers us beyond, many times, the expenses that we have. It's an issue of stewardship. And when you realize that it's God himself that prospers you, well, then you have no problem giving back to God. And and listen, we sometimes attribute our wealth to our hard work, right? Right? Like somehow God didn't give us life and health. Sometimes we attribute our wealth to our intelligence because we finished college. Well, God bless you. And hopefully you can still think after college, by the way. Sometimes we attribute our wealth to our abilities, like, like God didn't give us the abilities to do that. But, but we need to be reminded. We actually saw this in Deuteronomy 6 when we were going through our Leaving a Legacy series Man, it's God that gives us those things. Look at Deuteronomy 6, verses 10 through 12. God warned Israel. He says, It shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land, which he swore to thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities, listen, which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things, which thou fillest not, and wells digged, which thou diggest not, and vineyards and olive trees, which thou plantest not, When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Look at chapter 8, verses 17 and 18. It says, Thou shalt say in thine heart, My power and the might of my hand hath gotten me this wealth. And, man, Laodiceans are guilty of that. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. That me establish his covenant that he swear unto thy fathers as it is this day. And, and Israel had a problem. They thought it was their strength and power that brought their wealth upon them. And Laodicean, Christian, Laodicean Christians have the same problem. They think it's us, we think it's us instead of God. But man, when you realize that it's God that prospers you, well, you ought to have no problem giving. But here's what we do, man. Man, we upgrade our stuff, and I, who cares if you have nice stuff? That's not the point. But we are the worst at spending extra money on everything except the mission. And I know this makes us uncomfortable, man, to talk about money. That's why you probably won't come back, but that's okay. Man, God's prospered us, and, and, and you know the car we have is fine, but we need a new car. Toyota. For the record, if you buy a Toyota that's not 20 years old, you're doing it wrong. Anyways, okay, <laughs> man we we spend we spend our excess on food, on on entertainment, on hobbies. We spend a hundred hundred ten percent of our income, and that's why most Americans, though full of possessions, are broke. We got to have the nicer house, and we justify it with things like the safer neighborhood or better schools. We we. We have to have better entertainment and more expensive entertainment and more expensive hobbies and more expensive restaurants and more expensive travel, new toys, new boats, new cars, and and we got to get new clothes because, man, that's a year old. We can't wear that anymore. We are rich and increased with goods and have the mentality that we need nothing. There's a statistic that says from the, the Center of Study of Global Christianity that Christians spend... 99.9% 99.9% of their income on themselves. So, so Christians have developed and adopted a skewed version of the American dream. You say, man, I'm a Christian, I don't think like that. Oh, I don't know, man, if that's true. First John chapter 2, here's the litmus test, verse 15, says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loved the world, the love of the Father... It's not in him. And mean, it's easy for a Christian, it's easy for any of us to fall under the illusion and the trap that the things of this world will somehow satisfy us. But the truth is, materialism is an itch that can never be scratched. You're always going to want more of the same thing or more of something else. And Paul warns his son in the faith, don't get caught up in that trap. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6-10. to 10. Paul warns Timothy, a a pastor, a minister. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So God is looking for godliness and contentment. And he says, that is what's great gain, not your 401k, not the size of your house or your car. Listen, we brought nothing into this world, and, and you need to underline this statement in your Bible. It is certain we can carry nothing out. I preached a few funerals, man. No U-Haul showed up. You're not taking anything with you. It's certain. And and so God's word says, having food and raiment, let us there would be content. But they that will be rich, by the way, God doesn't have a problem with people that have wealth and money. But many of us have what we have, but we somehow want more, right? They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith. And they pierce themselves through with many sorrows. Man, you, you can't scratch the itch of materialism. As a matter of fact, when you start chasing that, God says you're going to err from the faith. You say, well, that don't ever happen to me. Well, well, maybe your job will be the thing that takes you out of church. All of a sudden, you can't come to, to corporate worship. All of a sudden, you can't grow in a discipleship relationship. All of a sudden, you can't serve faithfully in a local assembly. And the one excuse that you have is your job. Because we've got to get more so we can pay for more. And so it's an endless cycle. And what you're doing is piercing yourself through with many sorrows. Because money's never the solution. If you can't be faithful to what God's given you, how can you be faithful with more? You won't be. Man, this is tough for lay layout of sins, isn't it? Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Christ says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. And I guess the question for us today is, where would most Christians in this room say that their riches are? Are they laid up in heaven or are they here on this earth? We know the Word of God tells us that where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. Your heart is already where your treasure is. And so if you don't have an investment in missions, if you don't have an investment in your local church, if you don't have an investment to make a difference, well, no reason your heart's not there. How much money do we spend on earthly things versus how much do we spend on investing in heavenly things? Okay, well, I'll look at the time and we got to go. Point number three is the treasure of this collection. So, so God says that we're to lay this collection in store. We're, we're to lay it by Him in store. We're to save it up. We're to bring it to the church. Again, beautiful time that we live in because, man, we can, we can give digitally. We can give them the offering. We can, we can give any time, any place. We can be ready. The point is that we look at what God has blessed us with and how He's prospered us, and we lay some things in store specifically for global missions. And then then lastly, we see the temporal nature of this collection. Paul says, listen, you do it so that there be no gatherings when I come. In other words, you don't wait until I show up and then take an emergency offering. And, And maybe that's because he didn't want to guilt them by his presence. He didn't want to pressure them into giving. And listen, if you feel like that this morning, you're missing the point. You give as God prospers you. It's between you and the Lord. Nobody's trying to pry money out of your hand. So Paul, the human author, was coming back to Corinth. And when he gets there, when he gets there, he says the opportunity to give has already passed. We're not taking an offering when I get there. This is something that ought to be done in the meantime. It was temporal because the time to give had a beginning and an ending. Can I just tell you that the divine author, God Almighty, who gave us the inspired Word of God, when Christ shows up, who is the Word of God, listen, when Christ comes back, can I tell you that your opportunity to be a part of reaching the world will be over. It'll be finished. And when you see Christ, we're done. We have no more opportunity. And and, and can I just tell you that when we do what God's called us to do, man, when the phone rings, when a missionary calls, when there's an emergency on the field, it's beautiful. Because, man, we can just meet the need as a corporate body immediately because we're all invested. There's no special offerings. There's no pleading or begging. Man, there's time for that when when we have a huge need, whatever. But listen, can I just tell you, we only have a certain amount of time. I think a lot of Christians, man, are going to be regret, regretful when they see Christ face-to-face that they didn't do more. So, so the heart ought to be, let me figure out what God wants me to do now. Let me just make a few statements and then we'll get the rest of your blanks. Can I just tell you that God wants 100% of believers in Christ to be active in evangelism? You say, well, that's not my gift. Well, God said you're still tasked to do it. God wants 100% of believers in Christ to be active in the area of evangelism. God wants 100% of believers in Christ active in the ministry of discipleship. 100%. God wants 100% of members of his local bodies to give to their local body. 100%. And God wants 100% of of believers in a local assembly to give to missions. Does that sound unreasonable to you? It doesn't sound unreasonable to me because Christ gave it all to save us. The bottom line is there's a limited time to do what we can do to get the gospel of the world. And so now it's time to get serious about it, to save up and to give and to get going. Number four, the conduits of missions giving. We're done right here. Verse 3. So Paul writes, and he he charges them, he gives them instruction. He says, okay, this is is how you do it. And then he says in verse 3, When I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. So God's not just interested in money. What he really is interested in is men. He's really interested in men. Because Paul is saying, you need to approve some men and send them To take that liberality to the place of famine. And if you don't see the picture of missions in verse 3, man, I don't know how you're going to... You're blind, man. God only sends approved men. And Paul says to this church at Corinth, find those among you who are approved. And I want you to send them. I'll send them to bring the liberality unto Jerusalem. And again, verse 3 is a great picture of missions. Because approved men take what's needed to help with a famine and they're willing to go and you say well I'd be willing to go well God says you got to be approved first second Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 18 what does it take to be approved to God verse 18 it says not he that commendeth himself is approved but whom the Lord commendeth you say well man I'm approved I'm a faithful man of God I can I can go meet the need well number one God God is the one that approves a man to a work so you don't just wake up and decide to be a pastor or be a missionary. God does that. And to be approved, and I we have young leaders in this room, and many of you have expressed a heartfelt desire to be in ministry and to be a missionary or to be a pastor. And listen, I thank God for that. But you need to understand that it's God that approves men. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 says that we need to study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of the truth. You know the way that that a man is approved is his handling of God's word. Not his handling of money. As a matter of fact, if you can't handle the word of God, you probably have no business handling the resources of God. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 19 says, There must also be heresies among you that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. You know how approved people are approved because they spend time in God's Word. And when heresies creep up within the church, man, people that bring in false doctrine from outside or false doctrine from within, those that are approved can take the Word of God, rightly divided, and defend what God's Word says. That's how you're approved. Paul says, listen, whoever you approve, Corinth, you send them to bring the liberality to Jerusalem. You send them out. Almost like a missionary. Only approved men get sent by God. Romans 16 and verse 10 says, a Salute Apelles. And here's God's record of this man in the scripture. Approved in Christ. Salute them which are of uh, Aristobulus' household. Man, Apelles is approved in Christ. He has a testimony that he's approved. So here's the last point, man. I know we've talked a lot about finances this, this morning But can I just tell you, the greatest gift that God could get from us is not our money, it's ourself. It's our life. It's our life. The greatest thing that you could put in availability for God's use, it's your life. And let me give you the testimony of the Macedonians in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're done. But I need you to look at this passage. Paul writes and he says, moreover, brethren, we do you to wit the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded to the riches of their liberality. This, these Macedonians weren't rich, but they were full of joy. The Bible says they had deep poverty But when you have deep poverty and an abundance of joy in Christ, guess what? You have riches of liberality that you can give. Verse 3 says, For to their power our bare record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did not as we hoped. Paul said we had an expectation. We kind of were anticipating what they would do. But verse 5 says, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. You see, the Macedonians said, hey, man, it ain't about money. It's about men. I want to be approved. I want to give myself to the Lord's service. So this morning in your notes or in in your seat this morning, you have a faith promise mission commitment. And let me explain that, and I'm going to pray and we'll dismiss. Number one, I don't want you to fill that out right now. If you filled that out and dropped it in the offering, uh, you know, you didn't listen to the instructions because I didn't give any instructions concerning it. Here's what I want you to do with that. Number one, I want you to take it home. And what I'm asking is for you to prayerfully consider concerning the area of missions, what it is that you and your home could do the next 12 months from October to October. And we, we try to do this once a year to, to kind of get an idea of what mission needs we can meet as a, as a church family. And so, as you take that commitment home, you need to know number one, it's not a pledge. Nobody's going to come to your house, knock on your door, and say, Hey, man. As a matter of fact, there's not even a place for your name on that piece of paper, it needs to be anonymous. But, but prayerfully consider with you and your family, get your kids involved, get your wife involved. Listen, prayerfully consider what is it that God could do through us based on how he has prospered us in the area of missions. And then what I want you to do, we're going we're gonna to leave this open for the month of October. So the last Sunday in October will be our cutoff. But we want you to, to turn in one slip per family or per household or per giving unit, however you do that. Fill out the amount, and then the second thing is you fill out the frequency. So, again, we we try to calculate our missions budget based off of this. So so determine if you're going to give weekly, monthly, or or a one-time gift yearly. And then circle whether you're an adult, a teen, or a child. Because, man, if my kid was in here, she would give like $5,000 a week. And, well, number one, we don't make that. (laughs) And so, man, that, that would kind of skew the missions budget just a little bit. What we're going to ask you to do is turn this in at your convenience, at, at your leading, but for the next month, every Sunday, we're going to make these available. Uh, so if you need a couple of weeks to pray over before the Lord, that's what we want you to do. We're also going to send out an email with a digital link where you can do the exact same thing. Here's what I going to ask you to do. Only fill out one per family. Okay, so, I don't need you to fill it out every week, the exact same thing over and over again. Okay? So, this is just between you and the Lord. Uh, but, but, man, consider how God has prospered you in your home. And consider giving your life. Can you consider doing that? God's kind of prospered your life. And he's given you health, He's given you wealth. He's giving you a, a church that will teach you the Bible, that will disciple you, that will train you in ministry. I think what God's looking for is your availability. He wants your availability. Time short. And then we're done. And I hope, I hope, I hope we have a heart to see Christ glorified, man. We don't have much time left. And if we don't live our life out with purpose to the commission that God's called us to, we'll have lived a wasted life. And in the grand scheme of eternity, it will have nothing of consequence. I don't want to be that kind of person. And I want God to use me in spite of me I want God to be glorified through my life. Everything that I have is his. And I want him to use it for his glory's sake. And I hope you do too. Let's pray. Father, we need you. God, thank you for your word. I pray, God, as we, as we prayerfully just consider what we've heard. A lot of information today. But God, I pray, man, we realize there is a famine in this world. There's not a Bible teaching church on every street corner in this world. As a matter of fact, over 40% of this world is unreached. They don't even have access to the gospel. And God, for us, we may sit in this little church in South Huntsville and say, man, what could such a little church do to have any kind of impact in this world? God, by your grace, we already have an impact. There's people that, that have come to Christ because of mission trips. There's people that have come to Christ because of missionaries that we support. There's people that have come to Christ because of projects that we've helped with. God, by your grace alone, God, you're letting us see fruit I pray that you continue to do that. God, help us to, to evaluate our circumstances in our home, to evaluate our stewardship, to make sure that we understand, man, we, we are tasked to get the gospel to the world. It's not going to happen on spare time. It's not going to happen on spare change. We need to get serious in our walk with you. So God, we trust you with that today. We give you glory, and we ask it all in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.